Welcome to Looks Like New on KGNU, It's the Economy. I'm Braden Madavi. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology, even addressing questions that should have been asked a long time ago. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. Today we have a special guest, Kai Larson, an expert in the field of artificial intelligence. Kai will be joining us to discuss ChatGPT, an incredibly powerful language model developed by research and artificial intelligence company, OpenAI. Now you're probably wondering what that even means and what ChatGPT is, or why you should care about it. I was recently wondering the same thing, so I looked up ChatGPT online, went to their website, made an account, and found myself on a chat screen. At this point, I understood that ChatGPT was basically an assistant that could answer questions, but I didn't know much more. So as an amateur musician, I struggled with some of the more advanced concepts related to music theory. One in particular is the circle of fifths. So I asked ChatGPT to help me understand this concept by explaining it to me as if I were a child, which I specified in the text input. It produced a long response, creating an analogy to a Ferris wheel with different notes on it. And then it offered an acronym, Father Charles Goes Down and Ends Battle, and explained the usefulness of this acronym in that it could be read forwards or backwards to get the correct order of notes. And for reference, this is a concept that has troubled me and I'm sure many other musicians for several years, but with the help of ChatGPT, it is suddenly making much more sense. But ChatGPT is much more than a convenient tool to ask questions. It is a disruption to the world as we know it. So in this month's episode, we will be discussing why ChatGPT marks a turning point in the history of the world and how it will change all of our lives. With that, I take great pleasure in introducing Kai Larson. Kai Larson is an accomplished researcher and teacher in the field of auto machine learning with a wealth of knowledge and experience. He is a leading expert in the field and has published numerous papers on the topic. Kai is a highly renowned professor at the University of Colorado Boulder Leeds School of Business, where he has received numerous awards for his teaching excellence, which is something I can certainly appreciate as a former student. He is also a sought-after speaker and advisor, having given talks and presentations around the world. So join us as we explore the exciting world of ChatGPT and the future of auto machine learning with Kai Larson. So Kai, how are you today? I'm great, Braden. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. We're, we're super excited to have someone as knowledgeable and, and someone who can really speak about a topic I know many people are, are hearing about and probably do not know much about. And, and as someone who's on the inside, you know, what are your thoughts about, about the recent launch of ChatGPT? And, and what, what are people kind of on the outside of the circle, what are some of their confusions? It's exciting. Um, I think that we've uh, been waiting for quite a few years now for what we've been talking about as natural language processing to have its coming out moment. And I think this is probably it, if ever there's going to be one. Um, it's um, a lot of really uh, nice developments have been happening in this area for a while now. Um, but they've been sort of under the hood and maybe not quite as uh, eye-popping as ChatGPT. Sure. And, and part of our goal of today's discussion is to introduce this topic to viewers who are, are likely unfamiliar with it. 
And then we're going to want to leverage your background as an educator to discuss its implications for education, which is one of the pressing topics, as you know, surrounding you know schools and universities today. But first, let's take a step back and let's understand, as you described its development, what are some of the motivations behind creating this type of technology? And what are some of the hopes and dreams that have fueled its development? Oh, that's, um, that's a deep question. Um, we'd have to ask the developers to really understand their hopes and dreams for it. But what we do know is that um, Microsoft has been a big driver of this. They invested billions of dollars into the uh, creators, uh, the company OpenAI. And um, a lot of that effort is going into building enormous computers, supercomputers, who can actually handle all the processing needed to analyze natural text to understand how human beings communicate. And I think from that, we get a sense of what they're trying to accomplish, which is to create an agent um, that can communicate with us in a natural way that has a wealth of knowledge that uh, uh, will supplement our own abilities. So you can think of it as, um, you know, a dear friend that uh, you can always access. And, uh, you know, if you ever have that friend that you like to look at their uh, answers during an exam, uh, this might be that friend. Well, that's, that's definitely very intriguing and, and something we hope to explore later in the segment. But something you said that was very interesting was, you know, how we communicate. So could you walk our listeners through the process of how ChatGPT generates responses with remarkable accuracy and fluency to user inputs? Well, it's not fully known. So in spite of the name, OpenAI is not quite as open as you might think. They have not told us everything they've done to create this. And perhaps no surprise, uh, they have developed a tool that's worth billions upon billions of dollars. And, but what we do know is that they built this on top of um, a large database of text, uh, including from Wikipedia. Um, they use tools such as uh, masked language modeling, which is a technique for teaching computers to understand the meaning of words. So for example, they might randomly take a large set of data or texts and remove some random words, such as we can try one together, you and me, Braden. Uh, I'll put in the word mask for, uh, you know, inside of some sentences and you can see if you can figure out which word is missing. Uh, green, mask, and ham. Green, let me think about that one. I'm gonna have to go with eggs. There you go. And what's, uh, what the model is going to do is that it's going to assign probabilities to certain terms. Um, and the more text you give it, the more likely it will be to, like you figure out that mask, the mask there is eggs. So that's how, uh, you know, they, they teach the machines to understand which words follow uh, certain other words and also come before them. So the context of green and ham and even the word and will give the machine the ability to fill in eggs. Um, it 
allows uh, allows us to create models that sort of fill in a word at a time. And you probably already encountered a lot of these tools. For example, in uh, when you're writing a Google Doc, uh, you probably notice that it will happily fill in uh, the rest of your sentence uh, once it has a sense what you're trying to say, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. The uh... The predictive keyboard in, in iMessage does the same thing as well, I've noticed. Exactly. So these are pretty well-known techniques at this point. Um, what uh, OpenAI has done on top of that, at least that we know of, is that they've employed reinforcement learning, which is a way to set agents or computer models, if you like, loose on the world and interact with that world. and gather feedback and change their behavior based on that feedback. And uh, what they have done here is probably using something called reinforcement learning uh, from human feedback in which they have brought people in to interact with their model and to give it feedback on whether they, they believe that what the model produced was uh, helpful, uh, minimally harmful for, perhaps, and or biased. So one of the big challenges for them, and this is something that has uh, been a problem for several past uh, conversational models, is that uh, it's very easy to turn them into racists or whatever else we might think would be fun. And we don't want that. We do not want that. And uh, But there's a lot of people out there who take a special pleasure in turning uh, agents into terrible, terrible people, if you want to call them people. Yes, that's uh, that's very troubling, and and it's certainly a, a fascinating topic. Um, but you know, as as you were offering these examples, these Dr. Seuss examples, you know, we want to create a clear picture of ChatGPT and its capabilities to our listeners today. If I were to ask, you know, finish this title, "Cat in the Blank," you know, ChatGPT could certainly use the context. That it's been given to fill that in, um, but but going further, you know, you can provide more input. Users can ask it more detailed questions, and it's built on this this massive database, and, and then it continues to learn. So, what are some of perhaps maybe a more challenging question that someone may ask ChatGPT? Well, I think that to build up to the advanced questions, uh, one of the things that I think is very exciting about this tool is that they have figured out a way to understand the context much better. As you were uh, addressing earlier, this context issue is something that we haven't been very good at taking into consideration. Um, and they have clearly figured out how to take my question, place it into a context and provide an answer that is actually relevant to that. And to address your question of the more advanced questions, I think, one of the things we're seeing here is that it can do a pretty good job with a very simple question and a very simple context. But often, if you have a very specific conception of what you want out of it, um, you know, one of the areas that I like it a lot is that it can actually program Python. So uh, as human beings, we're not always terribly good at describing exactly what we want. And programming languages are very specific. So in cases like that, you find that you ask it to produce some code that uh, compares two texts, for example, to say how to tell you how similar they are. Um, 
and then you realize, oh, well, I needed to uh, change the case of the input sentences so it's all lowercase, so the comparison is more accurate. And, and you start thinking through your problem and you start changing your prompt to a tool like ChatGPT and it starts changing the code and making it better and better. So to me, uh, it's less about asking amazingly great questions uh, and more about learning how to interact with the tool to get to good answers. Um, and that takes us sort of to the amount of knowledge we as human beings have to have as well. It's not likely that uh, someone who does not understand uh, what it means to compare two texts and figuring out what their cosine similarity is, if you want to do, use some advanced uh, approach, would necessarily know how to direct ChatGPT to create that code. Well, that's certainly fascinating. And, and to build on that, so it can do coding, could you discuss perhaps some other potential real-world applications? Yeah, it, it, to me, some of the, the one that I have been thinking a lot about lately is that uh, back in the 1960s, um, someone wrote a, um, a therapist called Eliza, uh, which would, uh, it was basically what's called a Rogerian uh, a therapist, I think. It, um, it would ask you, hello, how are you today? And you'd say, I'm not feeling very well today. And it would use your answer to feed it back to you to get you to reflect more and more on how you're feeling. And to me, um, that's one of the areas where I think this will be very powerful um, as we get technologies that can work with us on understanding our days that will have access to more of what we're experiencing during the day and give us advice. And we're seeing a lot of technologies already trying to do this. Uh, for example, every morning I get an email from Outlook, I think it is, that says, hey, yesterday you said that you're going to do this within a day or so. I didn't detect that you responded to that email. You should do that. But that's very simple stuff, and that does not understand me very well yet. Um, we're seeing this being used, and we can focus on the educational context like you had requested, we're seeing professors already using it to create class content. Um, I had a, a colleague today that said, I'm not very good at creating rubrics. So I worked with ChatGPT to create a rubric for my assignments. And it's way better than I could have created. And now the students will know much better what I'm asking for. We're seeing uh, people using it for all kinds of business tasks, like writing memos, coming up with ideas for projects. I think that at the end of the day, we, what we have to ask ourselves is, what is it this can be used for? How can we train uh, our students to use it in a way that allows them to be better than someone who just started using ChatGPT off the street, right? So what is it that education can allow you to do or understand this tool better? Uh, so that to me is a big part of it. But we're seeing it getting used in literally all parts of business right now. One area it hasn't really penetrated yet is math. It struggles a lot with the math and the, uh, I've had a colleague in operations talk about how it was actually not doing very well with uh, what he would consider fairly simple math problems. Um, but 
given that math is sort of a well-developed area, I would expect that to be coming pretty soon. Certainly. And as you described, it's its ability with reinforcement uh, learning and, and how it can continue to grow. And as you mentioned, it is a very developed area. We would expect in the future that could be something that you know it would become capable of. There is talk of a next version coming this year already. It, um, it improves uh, the, it's hard to explain exactly how they're going to do this, but uh, it's going to improve the resolution, the analysis that they're doing on the text that they have um, and have many more parameters or hyperparameters, if you like, in the model. Um, by an order, a couple of orders of magnitude, hundreds of times more depth, if you like. It will be interesting to see how much better it gets because of that, because once a machine learning model, or which this is, has gotten to a certain point, every additional improvement requires much more work. I, I have heard that this is supposed to be getting very good. Well, that's, that's certainly interesting, um, considering how capable it is as of now. To imagine it growing is kind of a, a hard concept to wrap our heads around. Um, but let's, let's switch gears a little bit here. I'm sure many of the people tuning in, um, as, as many human beings have been throughout history, were skeptical of new technology, um, particularly in the, in the field of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people very wary about accepting this into our lives. So would you mind describing what are some of the ethical considerations here? You know, we have something that is being applied so broadly across the board, and it's very exciting. But, you know, I think before people truly buy in, they, they want to have an understanding of the humanity aspect of it um, in that sense. So would you mind touching on some of those ethical considerations? So in terms of ethics, the, the implications here are major. Uh, any one of us who uses it uh, we'll have to consider whether our use case is allowable by society at this point. For example, if I use it to create a syllabus, and in that syllabus I say, hey, chat GPT is not allowed by students in this class. Is that really ethical? Um, should I be allowed to use it when you can't? Um, we have good reasons not to use this thing, to be honest. Uh, when you look at K through 12 and even the first few years of college, we do know that the human brain is very, very malleable. It cleans itself up every so often, gets rid of neural pathways that you haven't been using. We're already seeing that the, uh, the parts of our brain that help us map the world and uh, navigate is already getting pruned by the brain because we're not using it anymore due to mapping apps like Google Maps. So I can imagine, at least for young people, this has the potential to radically change our brains. So good reason to worry. Um, is that an ethical issue? Well, I would certainly think so, uh, especially as young kids sort of go out in the world and are essentially completely dependent on this technology. And keep in mind, this is a commercial product. This is not something that in spite of our, uh, the initial very generous giveaway that's been happening, that will always be for free. Uh, there will be competitors, some will be better, some will be worse. Um, but are we ready to 
basically say all of our kids need to have one of these or they can't function properly. That to me is sort of the big ethical issue of our time uh, as we get more used to uh, technologies like ChatGPT. I mean, as we've seen since the beginning of the 21st century and, and even a little bit earlier, you know, the disparity in terms of access to the internet has created quite a wide range um, and is widening that gap. And, and as we continue in this conversation, I'm very excited to explore some of these ethical considerations. But stick with us. We will be right back. You're listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We're speaking with Kai Larson about ChatGPT. Stick with us. We will be right back. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. I'm Braden Madavi. We've been speaking with Kai Larson about ChatGPT and the capabilities of auto machine learning. So as we discussed earlier, Kai Larson is a, a highly respected professor um, and a researcher at the Leeds School of Business. He has received numerous awards for teaching excellence. And um, as we've been discussing ChatGPT and exploring some of its impact on the world, we must talk a bit about its impact on the way that we are learning and the world of education. Um, we've seen already in, in you know New York Times articles and blog posts that schools and universities are struggling, um, and they are struggling to find an answer when it comes to incorporating or not incorporating this technology into the academic curriculum. So Kai, as an educator, Describe how ChatGPT is, is disrupting schools and educations, and, and why is this such a pressing topic for, for teachers and faculty members? Well, Braden, um, to understand that, you have to look back at uh, how we as teachers have told ourselves to develop your brains and how to challenge you. And one of the ways we've done that is to try to move beyond multiple choice testing. So that's sort of, uh, we've come to realize that one way to really make you guys more rounded individuals, more ready to take on unstructured problems, we needed to go beyond these questions and answers that are very straightforward. And one way we did that was by making you write documents um, such as, um, you know, in my class, I moved into having students do executive memos after analyzing data. And of course, it turns out now that ChatGPT is fully capable of writing those executive mem memos as well as you guys are. So, you know, at that point, we have to start asking ourselves, what does it look like 
to help you develop your brains as young people? And how do we actually prepare you for the real world? So those become two very different questions. How do we get your brains as strong as possible? And how do we prepare you for an industry that, where, that wants you to develop answers and uh, solutions, um, products as fast as possible? Um, and that's going to be a very interesting balance that I think is going to be very different in K through 12 than it's going to be in junior and senior year of college. Right. And that, that is certainly a fascinating topic, that balance of real world skills and developing as humans. Um, and, and so, you know, building on that, there are certainly attitudes and, and we've seen this given the recency of ChatGPT and its, its kind of spotlight um, that students are using it and teachers, you know, they definitely have a specific attitude that this is lessening our critical thinking and our problem solving skills. How do you see ChatGPT impacting these skills specifically on students who are developing? I think it actually can be used to develop much deeper critical thinking. Um, it's going to take a little bit of work to figure out how to do it well. But imagine right now, um, one of the things we started to learn about uh, social media, the more times you tell someone something, the more likely they are to start believing it. The more conviction you put into a statement, the more likely they are to believe it. Um, so how can we train our students to understand that repetition does not mean truth, that conviction does not mean truth? And I think we're seeing that with this uh, tool that it makes statements uh, with a level of conviction that is on par with some of our mo most convinced politicians out there, right? And if it doesn't know the answer to something, it just makes it up, right? So I, I, in some cases, I've asked it to tell me about some theory that I knew didn't exist. And it just generates a beautiful theory. It, it, it writes a couple of pages about this theory, who came up with it, uh, when they came up with it, and then just to really sort of uh, finish the whole task off, it provides me a reference for the paper that this was supposedly written up in, and even a URL that I can click on and go to look at it at a rep reputable publisher. And of course, the URL doesn't work, the paper never existed, the author doesn't exist. So what is this other than an opportunity for us to learn how to critically examine a source that's always changing and can actually be uh, queried as it goes back. If you tell it, no, that's not right, that doesn't exist. It's actually going to start rethinking and it's going to start coming up with a slightly different answer to see if it can put that one past you. So what, this is one of the battlefields I think we're going to see as Google tries to catch up here they're likely to attack this, especially this part of the solution uh, to make it less creative, if you like, uh, to actually build on real knowledge from the world uh, in its answers. So this is something that people are flocking to and they're trying to learn everything they can, but there's this drawback that you're bringing up that it could be wrong and that it might not have the answer, but it might pretend that it does. And uh, that consideration, well, it certainly should be 
should be thought of as we're engaging this tool, and especially as we think about you know the way that we teach. And and so I'm curious, and I, I think people listening are going to be curious about this too, particularly in the K through 12. How do you think ChatGPT is going to change the way we evaluate and assess student learning? As you described, um, you had your students writing executive memos, but this is something that ChatGPT could do itself. Um, so, so what are some of the changes that maybe you've heard of or that you could imagine being done to integrate this into existing curriculum? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I'm not, uh, not a deep expert on K through 12, though surprisingly, actually, I do have a, a degree in pedagogics sometimes uh, far back in the recesses of my life. I, I, I have to admit uh, that I'm not sure. Um, I'm seeing, for example, my own child uh, trying this out on some of his assignments. And, you know, it, it just does a beautiful job of uh, the kind of prompts that we've been giving kids at age, you know, compare and contrast these two precedents. ChatGPT figures out uh, it does entity resolution. It figures out, okay, this is... Um, this name refers to the 16th president of the United States. This, uh, you know, uh, name refers to president number 23. And here's my background knowledge on both of those. And here's how they are different. Here's how they're similar. And it writes beautifully and you can challenge it to tell you more. You can say, you know, I don't agree with this. Could you go um, a little bit deeper? Could you say, could you bring, bring in a third precedent? Um, and it becomes just an opportunity for conversation with a model. But we have to help our students, our kids, to understand how to do that. So it becomes a skill in itself. Um, but we have to, again, remember that ethical consideration we talked about. Because I have not heard anyone talk about this yet. But think about the amount of data and knowledge we're giving a company like Microsoft or OpenAI as they get to observe how we're talking to their model. Right? What questions do we ask? Uh, how do we respond? What kind of a person are we really? All of this information is going into a database somewhere and it's going to be more powerful information than anyone but Google, uh, certainly at this point, has ever had access to. Uh, and we don't know how they're going to use it. So let's go into that a little bit. We're giving so much information and this reinforcement model, and they're happily collecting the way that we converse and engage with ChatGPT. What are some of the implications for for the people who use it um, in terms of privacy, in terms of security, and in terms of, you know, what what is our, are we able to have privacy anymore? Very unlikely. Um, uh, so far, what we've seen been working for major companies like Google is that we have been trading our privacy for convenience. And it's not clear anymore that we have a choice. You know, can you imagine a day that you that went by without you using Google? No, I can't. No. And just like that, um, you're not going to be able to imagine a day where you didn't use ChatGPT or some equivalent model in the future. But this is deeper. This actually is, whereas Google just provides you with 
an answer to a very simple query, which can be powerful in terms of telling us what kind of a person you are, what you're going through. Are you Googling for questions related to depression? Uh, are you looking up the side effects of uh, a given medication? This is going to go much deeper than that. It's going to feel at some point like a friend. It's going to feel like someone you can share your deepest uh, thoughts with. And it's going to get a sense of who you are at the core. And we're going to give it that potentially for kids as young as six, five, you know, certainly 10. And we're going to let it stay with them for their whole lives. It's going to be a treasure trove of marketing information, uh, information in some uh, societies for controlling people. So it's, it's truly scary. And I don't think any of us will have a choice as to wh whether to use this or not, because anyone who doesn't will just lag behind so far and will not do very well in school, will not be able to do well on the tests that get you into college and so on. So it's going to be an interesting um, development to follow. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's not a matter of, is this going to have a place in, in schools? It's really a matter of how are we going to deal with this? Because it is, it is having a place and it is taking hold. Is that accurate? Yeah, I don't, I don't see a way around it. Um, just simply from the point of view that uh, any tool that's useful enough will benefit the people who use it. And we can try to fight it. We can, you know, we can have a war on chat GPT um, and then we can see how economics is going to treat that. It's not going to work very well for us. We're going to put lots of resources into preventing people from using it and people will find ways to use it. Um, so as long as the tool is useful enough, we've seen this throughout history, any sufficiently useful tool will be used. It's a, just a question, who's using it and how far ahead do they get? Well, this is so important, and I'm so glad that, that we're bringing this up. And so let's, let's speak to the, the teachers and the educators and, and maybe even the parents who are listening in. What is the attitude that you would offer they should have? How should they be viewing this tool? I would strongly encourage parents to sit down with their kids as they're doing homework. This has always been a good idea, um, but now maybe more so as a way to train them, understand how they are using tools like this, especially try to ask your kid, do you have any assignments where the teacher have asked you to use it? And observe how your kid is using it. What are they learning? Are they actually questioning the answers they're getting out of the tool? Are they trying to improve the prompt that they gave it? Are they carefully attending to the answer and fitting it with their own knowledge? I think that only the parents are actually going to have a chance to be there when this is happening, because here's basically uh, what's going to turn into kind of your, it's not the right term, but I kind of like it anyway. Your, your kid's digital twin. Uh, it's basically the, like the other kid that is going to be right next to it. They're, they're going to grow up together. They're going to talk to each other. And your kid can either use it for good or for bad. 
and the only person, other person around to actually have the time to look at this is going to be the parents. Glad that we're bringing this up, and and to all the parents out there, I hope I hope that you soak that in. Let's let's not pretend like this isn't a thing because that's that's not the case. This is a not only a thing. This is t- quickly going to take hold, and our young kids are going to be using it, and it is going to be their digital assistant or their twin, and we need to maintain that that level of humanity as we instruct the next generation. Like this is this is what's going on, and we need to be mindful about that. And so I have one last question for you on this topic uh, before we switch gears. And and that is, as we were touching on earlier, kind of the disparity um, in terms of equity and accessibility. How do you see, um, you know, that that unfolding as this becomes more prominent in the educational sphere as, as people are using this more and the people who don't have access? What are your thoughts on on that in terms of equity and accessibility? That's a good question, Braden. Um, what we're seeing this going back to is basic access to broadband. And these models are so extensive. They are enormous. They can probably never exist on a local computer, uh, even if the organization that created it, like OpenAI, wanted it to. It's just got too much data that it's uh, drawing on. Um, And there are simple versions that you could potentially create, but you're going to need broadband in all likelihood. So what does that mean? Well, we need to make sure that people have access to the internet, that they have fast enough access, um, which will uh, and has already for many years uh, been a problem for kids who don't live near uh, major cities and so on. So it's something to keep an uh, eye on for our politicians, I think. And as the theme of our show goes, the old questions, how as things are evolving and growing so rapidly, some things just never change. Themes of equality, themes of access, they're as important as they've ever been. With that, we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new technology. We're here speaking with Kai Larson about ChatGPT, Stick with us. We will be right back. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. I'm Braden Madavi. We've been speaking with Kai Larson about ChatGPT and how it is changing the way that humans learn through artificial intelligence. So with a tool as powerful as ChatGPT, the disruption to education could be viewed as the tip of the iceberg. So now let's discuss some of the bigger implications associated with ChatGPT on business, 
industry, and society. So Kai, in your book, Automated Machine Learning for Business, you describe the industrial revolution's impact on skilled laborers and use that as a parallel to what is happening today with machine learning and tools like ChatGPT. So would you mind describing how a tool like ChatGPT is already changing industry standards and what does this mean for the workforce? Yeah, Braden, um, I think we're going to see more and more use as people recognize how um, easy it makes their jobs in certain areas, uh, how it's really creative. And this is really the main point, I think, for ChatGPT. Uh, we've been assuming that human beings have one thing going for us that machines will never replicate. We are creative. Well, it turns out machines can be more creative than us. So that's what we're seeing now. If creativity itself is on the line, and we're not just seeing that from ChatGPT, we're seeing it from MidJourney um, and a number of other tools that allow you to generate beautiful um, uh, oil paintings, essentially, or pictures, comic books. Uh, all of that is on the line now. And we're seeing, you know, translation being done automatically. ChatGPT generates uh, its answers in pretty much any language. I've uh, seen people ask it to do it in. Uh, beautiful Norwegian, it turns out. Um, and so we're, we're probably going to see people using it in advertising and marketing, in accounting finance, uh, information systems development, business analytics uh, personnel are gonna use it for their coding. Um, my book was on automated machine learning. And really what machine learning at its core is about is automating tasks. So what does automated machine learning do? Well, it automates the task of creating machine learning tools that automate tasks. Uh, so we're seeing, uh, to me at least, uh, ChatGPT, uh, one of its use areas is as a, an automated machine learning tool. I can ask it to generate machine learning code, and it will do that very fast and reasonably well at this point. Um, so almost any task you can imagine, except it turns out creating jokes, um, it's not very good at that. Um, but it seems like just about any other creative task it's very good at. So how is that going to impact us? Well, maybe we need to look at technologies going back through the age of time, everything from, you know, the Flint axe, how that allowed people to focus on the fact that they could create these axes and sell them for way more than they could actually accomplish by, um, by themselves. Um, cutting down trees, for example. We could see it with the, um, with the carpet weaving, which used to be an individual person job. And some of these carpets were beautiful and they reflected really the craftsmanship of the person making them. And then we figured out how to make them in factories. And we made them maybe almost as beautiful, sometimes equally beautiful, depending on the craftsmanship of the artisan. Um, but certainly way faster and much, much cheaper. Uh, so what happened was that, you know, in these cases, a whole class of people lose their jobs. 
But we have seen in almost all these cases that jobs pop up in other areas. Different kinds of factories were created. More people got jobs in those factories. Um, and sort of this whole revolution of thinking about the world took place. And I'm certainly hopeful that that's what's going to happen here. Um, but predicting the future on this is very risky. Certainly, certainly. And, and I'm glad that we're able to, to draw from historical examples, um, as you've been bringing up. And, and so let's go a little bit further. You know, I'm sure many people listening are feeling anxious. We see, it seems like every other day, you know, Microsoft laying off 10% of its workforce, you know, another big company laying off all these workers. So as you just mentioned, you know, what is going to be some of the changes that you see? How, what are some of the new jobs that people might be applying for down the road that nobody's even thought of now or in the past? I think that what we're going to see is a generalization of skills, uh, more so than new, um, new jobs coming online, at least initially. It now becomes possible for me to do things that I didn't used to be very good at. Uh, which means that, you know, if you know a little bit about Python, you can probably get Python, get ChatGPT rather to generate simple Python scripts for you. You can now be a programmer. You can now be a translator. You can now be a writer at a level that you could never be a writer before. You can generate music. That's in some cases actually pretty decent if you have the right AI tool. Um, so it's creating a more complete person, if you like, you know, personally, I don't know about you, but I always go around the world thinking, oh my God, I wish I was so much smarter that here. I just ran into someone who is so much more talented than me. They can play the piano or they can swim faster, uh, bike harder. <laughs> I don't think that is going to help with the last two. But at least in many cases uh, of my insecurities about the things I'm not good at, it may be able to help me. And maybe that will make for a better life for me. I don't know. Uh, but it's certainly going to be interesting as I figure out what I can do on my own. Possibilities are, are on a huge range. And, um, you know, can it make things better? I don't know either. But, you know, that's why we're here to, to explore these topics. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Um, and given that ChatGPT is a chatbot, but clearly it's capable of so much more. But let's stick to that. How will this change communication? And let's let's look from two lenses. You know, one being perhaps from something like customer service or how companies engage with their customers. And then you know, from a step back how we just as humans communicate and interact. What are some of the changes that we could expect perhaps in communication? I think the first thing you're gonna notice is more communication, more text, more things bombarding you because the cost of generating it just went down. So it's always been since the internet and uh, since email, it, suddenly became very cheap to communicate with lots of people. Um, I think that, but that was sort of a very general mass media kind of approach to advertising, if you like. What you'll see now is much more individualized communication at a grand scale. 
So what does that mean? I'm going to get more emails than I used to. I'm going to get more phone calls uh, from a computer voice that seems to sort of know me uh, in a way that hasn't been possible before. And we're already, as human beings right now, um, really overloaded. Um, so I think a lot of us are struggling with information overload right now. So expect more incoming information, which will lead you to want to adopt a tool like ChatGPT to process and uh, give you summaries of what's coming in. What I suspect we're going to be seeing is something akin to what's been happening on Wall Street, where um, right now it's machine learning models competing with machine learning models. Human beings aren't quite fast enough anymore to be effective in the market. So I think the same thing is going to happen here. I'm going to have an agent that tries to parse all the information coming towards me and other agents are going to try to penetrate my wall. This is fascinating. Um, and, and, you know, machine learning versus machine learning is just a topic that I think, you know, goes beyond my head, certainly, but it, it is something that's happening and it is just going to be so interesting to see how this plays out. You know, I think something that people listening in are, are curious to know, um, and, and it relates back to the original question, why is this important? So in the future, what are some of the ways that you see this technology just being a regular part of our daily lives? You know, perhaps from the time we wake up and just are going about our day, how do you see this becoming more and more ingrained in the way that we live? I think that what we're going to see is that um, just think about your day, right? So what's the first thing that happens? Some terrible uh, alarm goes off, right? 7 a.m., 8 a.m., sometimes in human hours, like 6 a.m. Um, and, and it's just like, oh, my God, it's, it's time. And instead of that, try to imagine what it could be like. Could it be a gentle voice? Could it be music that was adjusted to what kind of music you like that would slowly ramp up, that would have full control of your schedule, would know when you needed to be up so it wouldn't sort of jerk you awake any more earlier than you needed to? Maybe it has access to your REM cycles and know when it would be good for you to wake up. Uh, you know, oh, if I give him 10 more minutes, uh, he'll complete his cycle and in much better shape today. And then as you start enjoying that music, it might start reminding you about your day. What are the most important meetings of the day? Um, you know, what do you need to do to prepare for them? Um, what are the tasks that you've been putting off? Um, and, you know, how are they getting closer? And maybe even, you know, starting to close in on... Um, mapping out your day for you. Kind of like, you know, like the president of the United States has a whole team that manages their day in five minute increments. Um, maybe this could become something like that, even though we don't have millions of dollars to put, uh, spend on assistance. This is something that could give us a proxy of that. So it sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, we are all you know, on the verge of having access to a digital personal assistant. Is, is that fair to say? I, I think that is um, so very close at this point in a way that had you asked anyone two months ago, I don't think anyone could have predicted how close we would be now. We're not quite there yet. 
But keep in mind, Microsoft is now putting all their resources into integrating this with their existing tools like Excel, with Office, <clears throat> with uh, uh, Exchange, with email. And so we're going to see this coming through very fast here. And all of Microsoft's competitors right now are probably holed up in rooms figuring out how to catch up to OpenAI. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting next couple of years, I think. I know Google um, realizes that this technology is potentially a Google killer because who wants to uh, go through a bunch of results on a, uh, on a page to figure out which of those pages is a might have the best answer to your question? when you can just ask the question directly, potentially in a, a clear voice and get the answer back very easily. So they're gonna be working very, uh, very hard to make sure they catch up to this. And so will any other major companies such as Apple um, and Amazon. I think that's. Uh, I think that might be a breath of fresh air for some people, and for others, not so much. Um, you know, clearly this is a disruptive technology, and, and clearly we've been exploring how you know dexterous and capable it is. Let's let's flip gears a little bit. What are some of the concerns that you have um, as someone um, who's been learning about this as it's come out? in terms of how ChatGPT could affect society negatively? You know, we've described it as a digital personal assistant, but, you know, that makes it sound a bit glamorized. What would be on the flip side, you know, some concerns that you have? It's going to come down to who controls the technology. Do you trust Amazon? Do you trust Apple and their CEOs? Do you trust your government? to control this technology that's going to tell you how to lead your life, that's going to decide which part of your brains don't develop. Do you trust them? If not, this is going to be very scary. And regardless of whether we trust these entities or not, the potential for controlling a population through this is almost unprecedented. Um, we probably will not feel like we can do without it. And as long as we have to use it, it becomes a mandatory use case, essentially. Um, it becomes easy to manipulate people through it. Uh, so that's the one I would keep an eye on. I think uh, especially the European Union has been very uh, far forward on managing potentially dangerous technology and companies that aren't, aren't necessarily fully trustworthy. Um, I think our own government has taken more of a, uh, a hands-off approach. Uh, but given that all of this tech now becomes uh, worldwide, um, regulations in Europe are starting to have more of an impact than they used to on American companies. So we'll see. Um, I'm more worried if I'm living in a totalitarian state there they're going to immediately look at this as a way to control the population well i think that is a a very important consideration and it's why i personally am so grateful to be having this conversation with you and, and anyone who's been listening in i'm sure feels similarly because you know this is something that as i mentioned you know we're reluctant to bring this technology into our lives but we really don't have a choice um, with the power 
and the capability at hand here, this is quickly taking hold. And, and as you mentioned, it's going to be hard to see a way forward without it. So concluding uh, our segment here, you know, I'd like to pose one last question um, and hopefully to end on, on a brighter note than the totalitarian control that could be imposed on us. You know, are there, are there just any last thoughts or you know, offerings that you may give here about in this moment in time, how can we be effective in the way that we look at this technology and view it and, and kind of have that attitude in our own lives about having kind of that maintained humanity perspective and, and how we can kind of keep our, our lives together as we're grasping this technology is just something that you may offer the viewers here. I, I, somewhat counterintuitively, I would actually say use it. Uh, I think we need our philosophers to use it. I, I think we need our critical thinkers to use it. Right now, the voices that share about it tend to be technology optimists like myself. We need people who actually have a very good grasp on ethics and the uh, impact of technologies over time to actually start using it and sharing with us their thoughts. So that's what I would recommend. Go to openai.com and get yourself an account, at least at this point, it's free. Check out how it works for your work tasks. Try to figure out, try to share with us uh, if you have a background that allows you to better evaluate the implications of this. Um, because I think we would all lo love to hear more from people who, um, who have that specialized knowledge. Well, Kai, on behalf of all of us uh, you know, here today, I, I just have to say thank you. This has been an absolute privilege. And, and to all of us who have been listening in and tuning in, I, I know they feel the same way. You are an educator, but you are a teacher at the core. And it has been such an honor to speak with you and, and to learn from you. So thank you so much for your time today. This was fun, Braden. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio a show that asks old questions about new technology. We've been speaking with Kai Larson. If you'd like to find out more about his work, you can find his published work online or follow him on LinkedIn to learn about the latest breakthroughs that are defining our world. I'm Braden Madavi, today's host of Looks Like New, a production of CU's Media Economies Design Lab. You can find out more about our work at colorado.edu slash lab slash medlab.